This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 48. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Canadian investors are having a pretty eventful time in the markets right now as the legalization of marijuana is happening today as I record this episode. And let's not forget the hit that the markets took last week. So uh, for a long time now, we've seen very little volatility in the markets and it's been a relatively smooth and enjoyable ride. Well, finally, last week, we finally got to experience how markets can behave in the negative sense. And I think how you felt during this period is a good sample of how much you can stomach volatility and stay invested when you have some media making it look like the sky is falling. Now, we can and will experience drops even worse than that in the future, realistically, but I think it's a good self-discovery event where you learn if, for example, that 100% stock, 0% bond allocation portfolio is something that you really can have and still sleep well at night. So because of the marijuana legalization and the recent dips in the markets, I thought it would be great to have another investing tips episode like we did last month, where I speak to 5i Research CEO Ryan Modesto about what him and his research team are seeing in the markets with the recent decline, as well as address the subject of marijuana stocks and investing in that industry. Now, typically, I'm not going to have these types of episodes back to back. You can definitely expect the types of episodes that I normally have once a month, plus this type of investing tips episode once a month. But right now, you know, because of what has been happening in the investing world, I wanted to get this out to you ASAP. Of course, don't miss future episodes, giveaways, and free in-depth guides by signing up for free to the Build Wealth Canada newsletter over at buildwealthcanada.ca. There you'll receive some exclusive educational content that's only available to Build Wealth Canada newsletter subscribers. There's never any spam. It's totally free. And it's also the best way to ask questions that you want answered on future episodes of this show, as well as suggest any guests that you'd like to have come on the show too. So that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca. All right, now before we start the interview with today's guest, 5i CEO Ryan Modesto is also offering a one-year free digital subscription to Canadian Money Saver magazine for Build Wealth Canada listeners. And Canadian Money Saver is Canada's largest personal finance magazine. Uh, And you'll basically get this for free when you sign up for free 30-day access to 5i Research. So there you'll receive over 70 company reports, which is perfect if you like to sometimes invest in individual stocks, three model portfolios, and answers to over 75,000 investing questions, along with the ability to ask your own questions directly to Ryan and his team of analysts. Now, Ryan and his team at 5i don't sell any investments and they don't get any commission or bonuses from suggesting stocks and ETFs. So I've been a longtime partner with them as they are one of the very few companies in Canada that are actually truly unbiased and conflict-free when it comes to the research and suggestions on stocks and ETFs. All right, so you can get the free 30-day access to all the research and resources over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash research. And as a thank you for trying them out, you'll receive a free one-year digital subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine, Canada's largest personal finance magazine. So I encourage you to check 5i out. It's a great place to get some truly unbiased insights on your investments, whether it's stocks or ETFs. You'll learn an absolute ton. And now let's get into the show. (music) 
Hello and welcome to Investing Tips. I'm Cornell Schreiber. I'm here with Ivy Research CEO Ryan Modesto. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Ryan, let's start off with a market update. The markets have clearly been hit pretty hard lately. What's the Five Eye Research team seeing and should we be worried? Yeah, so we're seeing a bit of a, a sell-off in, in markets right now. I think as we as we tape this today, markets are down maybe roughly half a percent in both the, the US and Canada. Um, things are really volatile right now, changing very quickly. Uh, on a year-to-date basis, when you're looking at the U.S., um, U.S. is still, up, you know, people have been worrying about how the markets are doing, but U.S. is still up 3.5% year-to-date. Um, but month-to-date, it is down down 5%. So it's been kind of a, a fast and furious sell-off. But the kind of the... Um, you know the the nice the nice point I guess is just that markets in the U.S. are still positive on the year. Um, you know by the time we're finished recording this, this could change, but that's that's part of uh, investing I guess. In Canada, it's a bit of a, a sadder story I guess you could say where year to date markets are down about five percent, and a lot of that sell off has happened just in the last month where they're down uh, like month to date markets are down four percent on the uh, on the TSX. So. We, what looks like the main issue of what's going on right now is that um, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. is raising interest rates, uh, and as interest rates go higher, markets get concerned that it's going to constrain growth. So um, higher rates on debt means that you have to pay more on, on that debt, which means you're less likely to take a loan to um, you know, invest in a growth project, to buy a house, um, whatever that may be. And also a higher debt level means that your interest payments increase and, you know, maybe your discretionary spending as a consumer, instead of going out for dinner uh, this week, you'll now have to save that money and put that towards your potentially higher interest rate. So so a lot of the concern is the rising interest rates constraining growth. And obviously, if growth expectations go down, stocks will go down with it. Um, and then there's some other kind of more nuanced issues where um, when you're valuing a stock, you use a discount rate and higher higher interest rates mean that that value of the stock goes down. Um, but, but we think the, the big thing is just it, it's an issue of higher rates right now. And then you kind of have this other issue going on that's sort of related and, and sort of its own issue um, surrounding global growth. So, um, you know, kind of issues like the trade war and the emerging market route right now. Um, is making uh, market participants start to kind of ratchet down their global growth expectations. And again, you know, if companies are doing less trading and less um, less investing across countries, then you're going to have some some market impact as well. So so it really seems like it's coming down on interest rates. But the important thing to remember is that the interest rates are going up for a good reason right now. Right? They're they're going up because the economy is strong because unemployment is really low. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of wage growth, but that's starting to maybe sneak into the picture a bit as well. So, you know, it's not a, these rates are more of a uh, proactive, the rate increase is more of a proactive move by by central banks to help, um, to make sure that growth doesn't overheat too, too much too quickly, right? Um, they're not doing it in a, you know, a defensive reactive type of uh, situation so so there is that kind of give and take and and you know when you're looking at it, this isn't like it doesn't look like some sort of um recessionary issue where markets are selling off because you know something really bad is happening actually when, when you look at the economy economic side of things things actually look pretty good and even if you go to the company level earnings have been pretty good as well you know you're not 
Not every quarter is going to be a massive beat on expectations across the board. You're going to have some softness here and there, especially when you're comparing it to good growth in prior quarters and prior years. But um, companies are still growing earnings overall. So um, we still think there's a, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic with the markets. And, and at the end of the day, these sell-offs are not nice. And we've been spoiled over the last couple of years with low volatility. But um, it is a part of the markets. And a, and a 5% pullback um, is not overly rare. And neither is a 10% per, a 10% pullback should be kind of a, the base expectation when investing in equity. So no one wants it. You always want markets to go up regardless. But that's just not, that, not the way it works. And, and you need to take on that kind of volatility risk. Um, that's why over the long term, markets reward an investor, right? Because you're taking that risk of losing money um, to make money, essentially. Now, at 5i, you guys have the uh, the research team um, is actually accessible. So any investors that are part of 5i can actually go in there. They can ask questions. I'm assuming you guys, you and the research team have been getting a lot of questions about, you know, what's been happening in the markets and the declines, that kind of a thing. Are there any sort of really big concerns that jump out that a lot of people are asking that you want to maybe address? Anything like that? You know, we're... Um we're pretty um, impressed with the response of our members actually where it's less been a, um, you know, should I be worried about this pullback or should I, should I go and sell? And it's more of um, where should I be looking to invest more money kind of thing. So, so it seems like a lot of people are kind of viewing it as, um, as more of an opportunity, you know, a chance to pick up some, some interesting investments that you've been watching that are now a bit cheaper than they were before. And we think, um, you know, as it stands now, we think that's the right approach. Um, and just kind of, yeah, looking for those, you know, a lot of times that, that quality, you know, often a dividend payer that, um, you know, interest rates aren't really going to change, change much about their business, but they've sold off because of it. And now you can kind of get a nice little entry price and, uh, and a nice yield on a stock that maybe you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So, um, yeah, so overall, we've actually been impressed with the um, the response, I guess, I guess from our membership. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, now, let's change gears a bit and talk about the legalization of marijuana, the, you know, the cannabis industry in general. I mean, the legalization of marijuana is coming to Canada pretty soon. The industry is expecting to experience rapid growth. And so for investors interested in this industry, what should they be looking out for? Yeah, so this can be a, this is a tough space overall right now. Um, we think you need to approach it with with two kind of hats, right? So um, the the one hat is kind of the fundamental one where you're looking at the revenues, the balance sheets, the you know the total market potential, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and when you're looking at the space on and valuations too, and when you're looking at the space from the fundamental point of view, it's pretty hard to get to a point where you can can look at a lot of these companies and say. Um, you know, with, with high probability, I think this, at this valuation, this investment makes sense kind of thing, right? Um, a lot of these companies are trading over, um, I can't remember what the, the number is, but I think over like 15 times sales right now, um, and even, and definitely over 10 times sales regardless, right? And that's, I mean, you're talking top line revenues, not even including what your margins are, because you don't really know what margins are going to be on these companies yet. Um, you're not including competition, potential regulation, all that kind of stuff. So, so fundamentally, overall, we we think to to get to a point where you can be kind of confident from uh, you know putting numbers to the investment, uh, you have to kind of assume things like global domination of the the current companies, and not just in the flower itself, but in the derivative products as well. So, 
um, you know, that's kind of the fundamental side where, you know, it, you could still make money on it you know, down the road, but it's just, it's hard to justify when you, when you put any numbers to it. And, and, and that's just because there aren't much numbers out there yet. It's a new industry. Nobody really knows what it's going to look like down the road. Um, and there's, I mean, there's, you know, there's risks and rewards that come with that kind of, uh, assumption of risk. Um, but on the speculative side, it's a bit of a different, uh, mindset, right? So, you know, any given day, these stocks can move up or down 10%. So there's, you know, there's potential to make or lose money in that side, but you have to embrace that and understand what you're getting into, right? You have to understand that a single news release from company X may make company Y jump or fall by some some ridiculous percentage point and that may or may not be even uh, reasonable kind of thing right so that's just kind of the um the understanding of it you have to have and if you're more of kind of a taking maybe a longer term approach you have to just be comfortable with the idea that you know you could buy it today and within a month you might have to sit on a 25 percent drawdown for another year or something like that um so it becomes a bit of a bit of a long-term story i guess but um, yeah, so so overall, it's kind of kind of two hats we think you need to approach with it. Um, we think if if you really want to get involved, maybe the the area to look at is kind of the complementary businesses, right? So there's there's cannabis retailers out there. There's the um, liquor companies that are trying to get involved in the space, and even Coca Cola has talked about entering the um, kind of the uh, cannabis infused drinks. And so so there's those kind of ways that you can maybe get some optionality on the space. Um, and that's, and, and those companies are ones that are trading at more reasonable valuations compared to maybe the, the actual producers. Gotcha. And then I sometimes hear investors say things like, well, I think industry X is going to grow in the future. So I'm going to invest in it. So for example, you know, the cannabis industry now, or, you know, or AI or robotics or, you know, et cetera, mm-hmm. industries like that, that people just think have a lot of potential, you know, it seems obvious that they're going to grow. They see all this money being, uh, money being pumped into it. They see it in the news all the time. What is the error in using that reasoning as your sole decision to invest in a particular industry? Yeah, yeah, it can be kind of a dangerous um, strategy to play sometimes, you know, because a lot of time these uh, these themes can get ahead of themselves. And by the time you're hearing about it, um, you may be kind of late to the party, right? So, I mean, so blockchain, 3D printing, and even the, you know, the, the initial dot-com boom are all um, uh, great examples of this where there's that sort of, you know, it is a new industry. You don't really know how things are going to turn out. Um, but you kind of jump in on the, on the hype. So, um, you know, it's one of those cases where if you're early, it can work out really well, but I mean, nobody really wants to be the one buying at the top when it drops, you know, 20% in a day or whatever the number is. So, um, we, we think if you want to get exposure, you kind of have to check on, on three things. So you want to think if you're late to the party. So this is obviously, you know, the million dollar question regardless. So, um, but if you're thinking about it and, you know, this this topic or this theme is all over the news, you're hearing about in coffee shops, your Uber driver's telling you about it, you're probably later in the game um, and you might just want to wait till things settle down and some of that kind of that frothiness or hype uh, uh, subsides. Um, the other thing is, can you handle the volatility regardless? You know, a lot, a lot of people like the, to see the, you know, the big spike in the share price or in the chart or whatever, but are you, can you also handle it on the downside as well, right? And and there's a difference between saying you can and then experiencing and actually being able to 
to withstand that that drawdown. So you really need to kind of do a personal check to make sure that you can you are an individual that can handle the volatility psychologically and also um, from a you know a portfolio um, financial point of view. Can you handle whatever portion of your portfolio to fall by that amount, right? And the next thing is, is what's your time frame? Because um, new industries they're not they're not built in. Um, in months, they're built in years, right? So even if you get kind of this initial um, um, run up, run up in a share price, you know, maybe it's too early and it comes back down. Now, now you're kind of thinking you're holding it a loss, and you just have to start thinking years into the future because um, you know it takes time to to build a market share and you know do the marketing, do the branding, build a business. Essentially, this doesn't happen in in the short term, and a lot of things change as um, there's more certainty in an industry and the market's more proven and you know bigger companies and more money starts to flow into it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the current incumbents are gonna be the one that benefited. Sometimes it can be the case, but other times there'll be new, um, new players that maybe have a, um, a better way to do it or there's just increased competition that um, crowds out the, uh, the highly valued company that that you were looking at before, so um, we think those kind of those different things you have to uh, have to check, and then, and then the final thing is just um, you know do do a get gut check on yourself. Like why are you looking at getting in, into this um, sector? You know, is it is it because your neighbor did well in it and you're getting some kind of some some FOMO, so you think you want to jump in now, or is it something where you know you you've you've done some research, you see the potential, um, and you understand kind of the risks and rewards involved. The um, the one nice thing with uh, with the mention of ETFs is that you can actually it's it's sort of easier for an investor who maybe a good and a bad thing but um, it's easier for an investor to get exposure to these kind of themes in more of a diversified manner you know there's there's lithium ETFs out there there's um, AI ETFs out there and they may I'm not not saying they're going to do good or bad kind of thing but um, in the early stages of the industry usually better off to at least approach it in a diversified manner instead of just trying to claim your stake in a single company um, just because there's so much uncertainty in how, how this industry is going to develop, right? So, and generally um, that just gives you that broad exposure to benefit from the rising tide of the industry as a whole. So um, in general though, uh, while there's a lot of potential in these new industries, we do, we at 5i, we, we far prefer kind of proven businesses, proven industries, you know, some sort of revenue track record um, and even kind of an operational uh, history, a successful management team, all that kind of thing. Because um, there's, you know, you don't have to speculate on on unproven companies or unproven industries to do well in the markets. You can, there's plenty of investment opportunities of quality companies with um, um, good track records of cash flows, earnings, revenues, all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned about one option being just choosing an ETF that tracks that industry as opposed to picking and choosing individual companies i mean i assume if we take that approach then really what you're pretty much betting on is is that industry in canada for example overvalued or undervalued and it's going to keep growing or is that what all those companies in that etf are valued at is that already kind of you know is is all that factored into the price already um and so is that pretty much kind of what you're betting on in that point versus if you're doing individual companies then not only are you betting on the industry, but you're also betting on the individual companies. So there might be some more potential for growth, but also probably more volatility, I would assume. 
Yeah, well, the I mean, the companies make up the industry, right? So if, right. You, if you own the industry, you're owning kind of the, the valuations of the underlying companies as well. It's more so um, just kind of saying that, you know, I don't necessarily know how this industry is going to develop over the next one, five, ten years, but um, I want some exposure on my portfolio to what I think is going to be um, – you know, a disruptive or a game-changing industry, whatever you want to call it. And so if you own the ETF itself, you don't necessarily have to worry about, um, you know, a single stock in a 20 or a 50 stock ETF doing good or bad, because you can be more confident that if the industry does well, whatever the number is, even if it's 50%, 90% of the industry will do well with it as well. So that's kind of the, uh, the play more of a portfolio approach, I guess, uh, opposed to a single like a stock picking approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a bit of an alternative to maybe take a little bit of the pressure off and, and not feel like you have to choose just the right company in order to kind of get those gains that you're hoping for, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, you guys did a lot of work on uh, a cannabis report over at Five Eye as well, where you looked at some of these main players in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about that report? And we'll, we'll make sure we make it available in, the, um, in all the notes and that we link to it and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So we, we did a um, kind of special report on the cannabis cannabis industry. And it's, it's sort of funny how, how quickly it's uh, the industry's changed, right? Because we need to kind of go through it already and, and update a few things. Just um, even the um, as we were writing it, uh, Ontario was gonna um, do kind of like the LCBO type of model for um, selling cannabis, and now that changed to you know starting out just online sales, and then they're gonna open it up to uh, to private companies as well, which which kind of changes the game a bit, right? So. So it's, uh, which is just a great example. And that happened over like a two month period, I think, from, from when we wrote it. So um, it just shows how quickly things do change in, in the industry. Um, but yeah, so we can definitely update that and, and, uh, and provide it. Um, we kind of, we look at sort of just an overview of what the industry looks like, um, the total market potential, all that kind of thing. And then we go into some of the larger producers that are involved and then also some kind of kind of like as we were talking about some complementary type of companies that that you know uh, they're not maybe they're not necessarily selling cannabis uh, directly but they are involved in the business in some way where there may be a complementary kind of exposure so gotcha no, that, that sounds good. Yeah, I remember looking through it and it was really it was really interesting even just to learn about the industry itself and what are all the different uh, pieces of it, right? Because it's not just the producers. There's a lot of uh, kind of other businesses that kind of support that and all that. So it was uh, it's, it's interesting just to kind of as a piece of your due diligence, basically, when you're deciding whether to buy uh, a particular company or maybe the ETF or anything like that. Um, no, that's, that's great, Ryan. So let's um, maybe get into one of the uh, uh, listener questions that we had. So this one was from Hillary. And uh, and she was asking, what is the difference between a common and preferred stocks? And what should an investor consider when choosing between the two? And should a company offer both? Yes. Okay. So this is, this is a, um, a topic we see that often gets kind of misunderstood by, by a lot of investors. So um, you essentially have a, a risk hierarchy in the capital structure for a, for a company. Excuse me. So it goes um, bonds, preferred shares, stocks, essentially where... Bonds are the the safest investment. Uh, preferred shares are more risky, and stocks are the most risky. Uh, in a bankruptcy scenario, bondholders get paid first, uh, then preferred shareholders, and then equity holders. And typically, even if the bondholders get paid, then that's 
rarity probably where i mean if even if you're a preferred shareholder we wouldn't really count on getting getting your money back um in a bankruptcy scenario similarly if dividends are cut the dividends are cut on the common shares first and then they're cut on the preferred shares and then finally um you have an issue where you can't pay the fixed income uh, uh, distributions so um we we have a blog on our website on this that's uh um, we call it worst of both worlds. So it kind of beat up on the preferred share space a bit, but it gives a good good overview of what, what is involved in, in preferred shares and the differences from equity and fixed income and all that kind of thing. But, but overall, um, they're more risky than bonds, but less risky than equity. One, one common, equity or stocks, um, one common misconception we often see is that a lot of investors think that a preferred share, you know, matures and, that you're going to be made whole uh, upon some sort of date and the company is going to buy those preferred shares back. This, is, this isn't the case. They're not like bonds where a bond has a maturity date and on that date um, you get your principal back. Um, a preferred share could trade below um, whatever price you bought it at indefinitely. They could also pay those distributions indefinitely as well or the dividends indefinitely as well. So um, there's a bit of give and take there. But yeah, they're not, they are not like bonds and we think they often get... Um, viewed as as bonds which is there's some parallels you can make but they are again more risky and they often get compared to equity too but they don't share in the same growth that you that you get um uh, by owning the common shares so that's just one thing to kind of keep in mind and be careful of um we think when you're choosing so if a company offers both and you're choosing between the two um it's it's more of a personal you know, I'm not trying to be vague here, but it's more of a personal decision and not really, you know, is one better than, the, better than the other. So if you're more of a, you know, an income investor looking for something that offers more stability and more reliable cash flows, then um, maybe you'd want to go with a preferred share over the, um, the stock. But if you're someone who wants, who's thinking more total return and you want the capital gains and maybe a bit of a dividend as well, if the company pays a dividend, then you probably want to go with the um, the equity. Of course, this comes with a bit more volatility than you're going to see in the preferred shares, but preferred shares aren't immune to volatility as well in the, um, oh geez, maybe it was like two or three years ago that they saw a, a pretty material drop. Um, and they, they since kind of recovered from that. Um, so yeah, so, so no right or wrong answer on which one to choose as, as our, like our bias at five, I, we would prefer, we typically always prefer owning the equity. Um, especially if they pay a dividend anyways, just because then, um, you know, you get that stable dividend stream, but you also get the growth potential in the shares, which can often, um, you know, eclipse any any dividend you'd get over over the years kind of thing. Um, but of course, it, it comes down to that personal decision of why do you want preferred shares in your portfolio? And does that make sense for, you know, your, your given situation or your, uh, your uh, certain allocation you're looking for? Um, so... With that said, preferred shares do make sense to some degree in a portfolio. Um, what that amount is, is a personal decision, but um, it makes sense as a supplement to kind of get a higher you know, income stream in a portfolio. But yeah, I wouldn't really view it as a um, looking at a company and am I going to go preferred or equity? It's more of a what do I need? What, what, what's the allocation I need in my portfolio, if that makes any sense. But. 
Okay. No, that's great, Ryan. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's all for the questions we had this time. If uh, anybody listening or watching, if you have any questions, you can definitely um, you know send them over. We'll have the links down below where you can submit it. Um, with 5i2, if you do a free trial, you'll also get one free question credit. So you can actually go in there too, and you can ask the 5i research team your investing questions. So if you have a, a specific question about a specific stock, let's say, then that's the best way to do that. Uh, if you have more of kind of a more general question that has you know good broad appeal, then definitely you know let us know and we'll try to include it on the next episode as well all right so thanks uh, thanks for coming on ryan i look forward to uh, next month another market update hopefully the markets uh, treat us a bit better <laughs> next <For sure>. yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed but uh, I, I mean but it's it's nice that you guys uh, you know are, are you and the team are, are monitoring it constantly and then just kind of seeing uh, sort of what's happening gives us a bit more clarity and uh, you know you i find you guys keep help keep uh, some of those emotional you know um reactions at bay uh, just by educating investors about what's happening um, and just helping them uh, come to terms that you know if you are in equities it is going to be volatile from time to time you are going to have those drops from time to time and, and you know this is just uh, this is just part of it so uh, thanks again for coming on great have uh, great that you're here and uh, hopefully uh, you know look forward to seeing you next month sounds good thanks for having me all right thanks ryan bye all right, I hope you enjoyed the episode. We have some really exciting episodes coming up. And if you haven't already, let me know if you like these types of episodes too, in addition to the ones that I normally publish. Now, definitely submit your questions to potentially have them featured on the show by signing up to the buildwealthcanada.ca newsletter and basically hitting reply to any of the emails you receive from me. And then I'll, I'll bas- I basically read all of them uh, and I will do my best to have your question answered on the show. And lastly, don't forget to get your free Canadian Money Saver magazine subscription by checking out the research and answers over at 5i Research by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash research. Of course, if you like the show, please go to iTunes, leave the show a rating and review. I'd really appreciate that as well. And you know, feel free to give me your feedback as well in terms of what you'd like to have on future episodes of the show, any guests you'd like to have, any questions you'd like answered. And I will be more than happy to try to get all of that in future episodes of the show. All right. So that's all for now. Thanks for listening and supporting the show and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.